Welcome back to Re-Redwall, a podcast where we remember, reread, and rethink the book series Redwall by Brian Jakes. If you give a mouse a past, she'll fight for a future. <laughs> I'm Jordan. Oh, and I'm Derek, uh, accompanying the Poet Laureate with introductions yeah, over baby. here. I don't know if it's exactly fitting. I, I, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll dig into that. I don't know if that's exactly what she's doing, but we'll see. And I don't know that we know enough to know if that's exactly what she's doing. So yeah, we'll we'll dig into that. But uh yeah, today we're talking about book one of Mariel of Redwall. And Derek, did you did you enjoy book one, the storm identity? Well <laughs> Well, I guess first of all, I always thought it was Mariel of Redwall as well, but I think it's really important Marielle is like the pronunciation. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh Whoa. Uh, once again, we are confronted with a how do you pronounce this name situation here on Re Redwall? The audiobook makes it pretty clear that it is Marielle because it sounds like a bell. And I mean, sure. So there's uh there's something that I learned. Uh I've always thought it was Mariel of Redwall, but I think the the uh oh, we gotta get Mike boy. back on to talk about the linguistic way to say L or whatever that would be, but this is the hardest one to confront for me so far in terms of pronunciation stuff that's that's going to be really really hard for me to say marielle of redwall i like it though i like it better i think it does have like a little bit of a a sing-songiness to it and i like how it connects to the bell but it might be hard because i'm in this i'm in the fight or flight stage (laughs) i'm just like so i i i need to unlearn something before i can let that like actually seep in to know if i but like right now i'm like that is gonna be really hard we're just shell-shocked you just heard a poem about your identity and now you don't know what to do my goodness yeah so that might be hard a big pill for you to swallow because you have a lot of memories of this book if i remember correctly i more so i mean I'll, I'll I'll do the thing I always do where I say, oh, I know I read it and I don't remember much specifically, which is true. Um, I do know that this one, I think this one would have been one that I would have said was like underrated. Um, sure. I, uh, it's, it's not the, it feels like a, a different tier to me um, mm. than some of the ones we've been taught where like, you know, you've got the heavy hitters, the Martin, the Warriors, the the stuff that feels like really important to the like Redwall canon or whatever. Uh, the like, I, I think most of the ones that we've read so far on this podcast are ones that, if anybody has read any of these books, they're likely to have been among the titles that we've covered. Yep, I would say this one is the first one where that's not true. Um, it feels sort of just outside of that uh, on a different tier maybe but i do remember reading it and being like why isn't people why aren't people talking about this one like, yeah this is so cool i um, am feeling that same way myself having not read this yeah. book growing up i think for a lot of the reasons you're talking about if i had to guess there was probably a little bit of like fourth grade boy misogyny going on as well unfortunately of just like i don't need to read a book about a girl doing stuff but also mm-hmm. Any book that had like an ocean on the cover was one that I was not going to be drawn to the most because it didn't Mm -hmm. feel important like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think that anything that dealt with those side expanded territories was essential reading. Mm -hmm. But I am coming to uh, regret some of that stuff right now because I do really like this book so far. 
Yeah. Yep. I, the ocean stuff, I, I do think like a lot of the seafaring stuff feels like sort of side. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's maybe not the Skywalker saga. It's, <laughs> it's a Star Wars story. Even though it, it seems like, like sea rats seem to be shaping so much of yeah. our heroes as of late. Yeah. Which is a sea rat a real thing? Like, is there, are there rats that would be like colloquially known separate of other rats as sea rats well if we search just a rat rat. that's on a water so i search sea rat and the top hit is sea rat the seattle rapid access tool so my assumption is that no it is not a big thing but let's put a space in there let's put a space between sea and rat and we get lots of images of sea rats but still we get the top hit of the Seattle Rapid Access Tool. So, sea rats might be a, a colloquial thing for Redwall, much like pizza rat is a colloquial thing for <laughs> for us for here and planet Earth. But I don't think they're a real thing. Maybe it's you could just say that a sea rat is a a rat that lives on a ship and says "me hearties" a whole lot. Yeah. Yes. Let's let's start it now. Let's make sea rat a thing for for the real world. Pizza Rat's yeah. long lost cousin. Say so that's my memory of Mariel of Redwall. It, it probably too. I bet for reasons similar reasons to you not reading it at all. I bet it was among the like last that I had read because mm-hmm. I do think I read everything that had come out to the point that I stopped reading, and then once they started releasing new ones, I think by that time I had waited. So I do think I like would have picked this up to just read a Redwall book that was available, and I bet this one would have been towards the bottom. I was Googling some other stuff earlier today in preparation for just notes and reading up on some of the stuff. And when I Googled Marielle of Redwall, some of the like other things that you could search for that other people have searched for included the likes of, is Redwall based on a true story? So hmm. we got some interesting, sure. some interesting Googlers out there. I hope you find the answers you're looking for <laughs> someday, Googlers. But yeah, I don't have much memory of uh, of this book from growing up, other than seeing boats and not necessarily needing to dig into it. I think I'm about to rue that decision as uh, we we dig into this a little bit more. Yeah, no time like the present. With that. What happened in, in book one of Marielle of Redwall? This is another book where the story, the first book of this story takes up half the story. So mm-hmm. this is going to be another long-winded one, but I'm going to do my best. Here we go. We open on Gabul the Wild, a fearsome sea rat warlord watching a small mouse struggle to survive a raging sea at the bottom of a cliff on Terramort Isle. Gabul commands the fortress Bladegirt, where he meets one of his captains who demands bounty, but he cuts off the captain's head in a very grisly manner. Gabul then confronts an old mouse, Joseph, about a large bell that Joseph created for the Badger Lord of Salamandastron. There I go pronouncing Salamandastron that goofy way again. But Joseph won't build Gabul a bell tower for this new bell. But Gabul makes him interpret the symbols on the bell, lying, saying that he'll be able to see his daughter once again. The mouse maid we met before in the ocean awakens on a beach, 
She's equipped with a rope, but no memory of who she is and where she came from. Some birds attacked her, but she fends them off with the knotted rope, earning the weapon name Gullwhacker and dubbing herself Storm. The thirsty mouse finds some water but passes out and awakens captured by toads. Hares arrive to fend the toads off, and they announce they're part of the long patrol from Salamandistron and assist her. They promise to bring her to Redwall. Storm starts to travel to Redwall with Pakatug, a paranoid old squirrel, but soon parts ways with the annoying beast, and then runs into the hare Tarquin en route to Redwall, who sings a whole lot and brings her to the abbey. Back at Terramore Isle, Gabool's prize ship, the Dark Queen, is stolen by the rat Greypatch after a Gabool duels with another vengeful pirate captain. Gabool promises rewards for those who are able to find Greypatch. Meanwhile, back at Redwall, it's experiencing a very peaceful time. Abbot Bernard leads the abbey with help of the blind herbalist Simeon and Mother Mellis. Danton and Saxist are two young mouse friends at the abbey when Storm and Tarquin arrive. Storm first puts up a fight and doesn't want to get bathed and assimilate into Redwall life, but she eventually settles into it with and befriends Danton and Saxtus. At the abbot's feast, Saxtus recites a poem, sending Storm into shock. When she faints, Simeon is able to coax Storm to tell her her life story. She is Mariel. Her father and her were en route to deliver a bell to Salamandistron to Ronblade Windstripe, the Badger Lord. Their ship, the Periwinkle, was captured by pirates, and her father and her were taken to Gabool. Mariel is able to stun Gabool in a fight, but he shoves her off a cliff tied to a rock. Mariel regains her memory and vows vengeance on Terramore and Gabool, but she doesn't know how to get there. So the Redwallers hunt for clues in the abbey from an old traveler who left notes. And by notes, I mean riddles. She plans to set off alone the next day, but during the night, Simeon is met by Martin in a dream, who tells him to give his legendary sword to the mouse Dandin. One by one, Tarquin, Dandin, and Dury Quill, a hedgehog, join Marielle on her quest. They confront a vicious heron, pike-infested waters, and a deadly snake, but get it through it all together. Meanwhile, Greypatch and his crew are on the Dark Queen, and they travel up the river through Mossflower towards Redwall, aided by a captured Pakatug squirrel. And throughout all these happenings, Ron Blade the Badger is watching from Salamandistron with aid from the Long Patrol. The book ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger, saying that everyone's awaiting to see what happens. And we wrap up book one. How are we doing? Did I, did I miss anything there? Nope, I think you got it. I think we're doing great. Um, I really like the cliffhanger at the end mm-hmm. where it's just little short passages of each thread that we have, which is many. Oh, yeah. It was great to see like a little bit of a cliffhanger, like in a true cliffhanger, kind of wrapping up book one. Mm-hmm. It almost felt kind of like in Les Miserables, the musical, the song One Day More, where everyone is just like anticipating what is about to come. And it was nice to have mm-hmm. that in there. Yeah. What's. Where, where do we want to start with this? Got a lot going on. Yeah, I think my first impressions were the formula seems to be most apparent here. We talked about that before mm. in previous ones where these books can have a little bit of a formula to them. And it seems most apparent in this one where we have some introductions to people. There's a very bad guy who is very bad. And we have people at Redwall and there's a little bit of exposition and then they set off on an adventure. 
from Redwall. And that is like the formula here at this point. But at the same time, it was really interesting where this one felt the most refreshing as well mm-hmm. in terms of the characters and who they are and how they're developing and how they're interacting with each other. So it's this weird back and forth mm-hmm. of us kind of like, okay, this is very apparent of what's going on here and it feels very rote. But I also really liked it so far. The formula is very apparent, but there are some differences here that I think are pretty significant, I guess, in just how the plot unfolds. And to me, what stood out is this is the first time that the villain is not in conflict with Redwall yet. Mm. Or the, the villain is not aware of what the rest of the story is going to be uh, yeah. at, at this point. Like, Marielle is a link to Gabul as the villain, but, like, everything that's happening with Gabul is separate uh, until the very end when some of uh, the kind of, like, there is a threat to Redwall, which is sort of just, like, spillover of stuff that's been happening mm-hmm. elsewhere. But right now, it's sort of like two separate stories almost. Um, And we can see how they're going to clash. But I like that the villain is completely on. It's not like somebody's camped outside of Redwall or somebody has done something to Redwall. And like, then the rest of it, it's it's it is he's he doesn't know what's coming. Um, Blissfully unaware of what's mm -hmm. about to hit him. Yeah. uh, Which is a little bit different. It's almost then. I feel like Redwall or Marielle uh, and then Redwall by Associate is is a little bit more on the offensive here than is typical. Ooh, yeah. Uh, where they're going out. Like nothing has happened to the Redwallers. Um, something has happened to Marielle. So there, she is reciprocating or reacting, but like the Redwallers are not or, or they're like trusting her or whatever. So like... Oh, that felt a little different than what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think that brings me to something that I was struck by, which is the conversations of peacefulness versus violence are are not being had here. And I think that speaks both to an interesting way that the story is developing, but also the character of Marielle herself. It's interesting that we have this... Her, she just is claiming vengeance and she just goes off to destroy this rat and fight back. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. she is on the offensive as opposed to really trying to like reclaim the land from what we've seen before or like free mm-hmm. people. She is just like, I'm going to destroy this evil rat, Gabool. She does have like the primary goal that she states is to save her father. That's kind of what she leads with, but then, like, I think it's Simeon is like, but, or maybe it was Abbott Bernard is like, but you've got something else going on, too. And it's like, yeah, it is, I do feel like that's going to be the tension of, like, what is she actually going to do? Um, And I think we're meant to sort of feel, like, a a tension between those two goals. But the Redwallers seem to just hop on board with the request. Yeah. Pretty quickly, though, the young, reckless ones and pretty quickly, though, like they are on board with what she is doing and Mm -hmm. don't seem to question it very much. Yeah, I 
that felt a little yeah we're, we haven't had some of the same conversations that we typically have had in the book to this point i think some of those conversations will come uh because there is a threat outside of Redwall that is going to be happening to Redwall. So yeah. I, I think we'll be back there, but the, that's normally a book one conversation uh, and it has not been, um, which, is, which is interesting. Yeah. It also is one of the things though, too, that I think is refreshing about this book mm-hmm. is that Marielle is a central character and hero that we have not seen before. I think Mm-hmm. I mean, for starters, she is a woman, a mouse maid, um, which is new and and nice to see. But also, she doesn't seem burdened by any sort of purpose. She mm-hmm. is like Martin the Warrior is in his titular book is I have this big responsibility towards my dad and to the promises that I made him. Matthias is disillusioned by all these thoughts of grandeur and wanting to be a hero. And then it also then Madame Mayo, it's like, I got to protect this son and I got to protect my legacy. And in Moss flower, there's like a similar thing going on there of expectation around who Martin the warrior is versus in this mm-hmm. book. It's just like someone who is set off to drown and then comes back and is, is able to do her own thing and is very much her own story that is not burdened by anything and is is just kind of doing her own thing i and i like how patient it is in developing her where it's like Hmm. we don't it's a long time before we even know her name um it's a long time before we have any type of backstory so we're just like really going with what we're given and she feels yeah she feels cool i am there's a word. There's a word that I hesitate to say. It has not come up on this podcast yet, uh, and this is the first time I'm like tempted to use it, and I want to like unpack why that is. And that word is is badass. Um, <laughs> that that hasn't been how the protagonists have typically felt. If Matthias is gonna work for you, it's probably because you feel that way about him. But like that wasn't successful to i i didn't feel that and it didn't we didn't feel that and and martin there's like enough other stuff going on where it's like that's not like the primary sort of appeal of his stories of like oh martin what a badass he also Um, has that expectation of he will be a hero that we already bring in with us so but this one is like the first time that it feels like that word is coming to mind and i'm curious I think there is sometimes like a, a gendered kind of view where it's like if if a woman is competent at the same things as a man, it's like sticks out as like, it's like, oh, that's like this chick's so badass. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, I don't want to say that word, I don't think, uh, but it is like this is the first time it's coming to mind. And I'm curious if that's sort of a like kind of gendered bias that I'm bringing to this or if that is how Brian is writing her or if it's some of that lack of other kind of like destiny purpose stuff that feels, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm curious where is, is that a word that makes sense in the story to you? And, and do you have a sense of maybe why? I definitely think that there is good reason to have some hesitation to just 
willy-nilly throw it on to, to Marielle for that like gendered reason that you're talking about. I do think there probably is a tendency for us to like call women badass before we do that to a man mm-hmm. who's doing similar stuff. But I also don't think it would be incorrect to call her yeah, a badass. I, yeah, it feels like a little bit of both. It does. It's like she is written differently, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think at the same time, like, I don't think it is bad to delight in a woman being really cool. I don't want to mm. say that that's a bad thing to do by any stretch. But I do think that what we have seen in these books before, having a woman be in this role then certainly prompts us to think of her differently than than these mm-hmm. guys. But yeah, I do think there are also specific things about how she is written as this survivor who... Mm-hmm. She comes in with very little identity, but the first thing she's able to do is forge this weapon from un from very interesting materials and defend mm-hmm. herself. And that is the very first thing that we know about her is how she's able to yep. think on her feet, be resilient, and kind of just like snark at the world in general but in a way that is Mm -hmm. not annoying either and Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. like those things are very badass in ways that we have not seen other characters do it before and yeah like a rope that you you name after Mm -hmm. (laughs) you call gullwhacker like that is yeah that is very funny and also but like Mm -hmm. effective in what it's doing and so those things combine in a way to be badass no matter who this character is yep yep and i think it's part of part of it to i i like that this is the first time we've seen a character like create themselves we're like yeah again it's like she's it is a true it's not an origin story but like for the first section like her first kind of uh chunk of the story it is like a mini origin story because there's nothing else and so it is whatever she does just like has this new sort of identity where yeah like other characters it's always they're always tied to something that's come before Mm -hmm. and she is now or like is more now and probably i I bet we'll learn more about the periwinkle and her background and all of that but yeah for that first sort of like just wandering passage it is like this little vignette of and, and yeah, it's cool that like Storm is different than Marielle. Like, yeah, I, I love that she gives herself this name. They're different, but still linked very much. Like they're mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. two different personalities, kind of, where Marielle is informed by her past, but still has the Storm mm-hmm. ferociousness with her. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I wonder if it was an intentional move by Brian to write his first female character or female main character initially detached from anyone else, detached from other men in order for her to be able to be her own thing. Like if you had this right from the start, if she was defined by her relationship to her father and losing her dad, if Mm -hmm. that wouldn't make us view the character differently um, as opposed to just this like badass who made herself. Yeah. I think, I think it's an interesting call to divorce her from every character at the beginning and then 
introduce her in context. It certainly was intentional for something Mm -hmm. uh, because it is pretty specific and we've not seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I I made the joke earlier about like the born identity. Yeah. Uh, But it is like very similar kind of appeal of like a blank slate character who were just discovering stuff about them along with that character. And it's like the, the fight for personhood and identity is like a cool, uh, a cool trajectory and yeah, very effective here. Should us two men dig more into the conversation about women characters in literature, really milk this conversation more and more or, uh, yeah, I, I, while we're in this corner of, of sort of gender, because again, this is the first book with a, a female protagonist. I do know there there was like, I don't remember where I didn't really engage with it too specifically, but there was some article talking about complaints that like no woman ever wields the sword of Martin. Mm-hmm. And like, even though there are women heroes, they are like othered. And I know that various people, I don't know, that it was something that people felt very differently about um and 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 i think some folks felt like it's diminishing parts of these stories that they like and did identify with or whatever and felt like sort of a a toe deep critique again i don't even know where this article lives but i've heard that idea before and we have that sort of here where a character has the sword of martin and it is not the character the book is named after uh which is or or the main character uh which is the first time that's happened Mm -hmm. um and I'm curious what the reasoning is. I think it's too early to, t- I don't think we know enough about Danden. And, and so I, I don't want to say anything like definitively good or bad, like how that's feeling. Cause it's incomplete. But one thing I will note in this book is I love how the book talks about Gullwhacker. Um, hmm. It talks about it with the reverence that I feel like it talks about the sort of Martin and other books. Sure. Uh, there are a couple passages where it is like talking about what she's doing with it or like how she's wielded. It feels very sort of like high language uh, when it's talking about what is essentially a rope with a knot. <laughs> so again, I don't know where this will land and if there is sort of like, yeah, Brian, like even though he writes this book about this character, I think he thinks lower of this character because some of these signifiers like Martin's sword are not entrusted to her. I don't know where that's all going to land, but I kind of like the idea of elevating a different weapon on because it's like, yeah, we've gotten a lot of the sword and the sword is cool or whatever. And the sword is here. So like, Mm -hmm. we'll see what it does. But I like the idea of like a different type of warrior wielding a different type of weapon and sort of like being like, no, it's not just the sword. Like the sword is a weapon, um, a tool for a warrior to use poorly or, or greatly, but so is Gullwhacker uh, on that sort of same kind of mythic level. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I really like it has a name. Yeah. It has, like it is, it, there is a reverence to Gullwhacker. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, the reverence to it, I really like. I do just like she has something that is able to help define herself as as something new, which gendered aspects aside, I think just makes for a better character in general. Mm-hmm. Um, having something that is is theirs and is definable to them. And I think there's two things. Um, I mean, like I, we look at 
we look at Star Wars again, as we like to do. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons I wish Ray had her own lightsaber in, in the sequel trilogy of it is able mm-hmm. to set herself apart from everything else and become her own character the same way it even like worked for Luke in the um, original trilogy. I think there's mm-hmm. some care- comparisons there, but I also think that I really like that she's not using the sword because it puts the sword and like the mythos of Red Wall and everything as an auxiliary role to her own story. Um, and I think that's one of the refreshing things that um, we're seeing here is that Redwall is not this rever it's still this reverent thing, but it is not the thing that everyone is fighting for and that everyone is relating to in the same way. It's able to play this role that is helping other people and propelling their stories forward rather than be the thing that everyone is focused around. And it's cool to see the sort of Martin, I think, play a similar role of not being the focus and the thing that empowers people, but is a thing that is just helping other people along the way, helping other beasts and mm-hmm. helping them perform their own stories and actions and character development. And it's not just the thing that people hunt for all the time. And I like, I really yeah, like the role it, that the sword is playing in this story as just like a propelling other is, people forward. Yeah, and it's almost a non-role at this point. Yeah. We haven't really... It's like, it's here. Simeon's like, oh, uh, yeah. Like, Martin's like, give Dandon the sword. And so he does. And it's like, he hasn't even used it yet, though. Yeah. And, like, barely any characters have, like, talked about it. Like, I love that at this point, it's like, Gullwacker has done way more uh, for our heroes than the sword has. And again, that that's a book one thing that might change and it might be a bummer in the way that it changes. We'll see. Uh, but I like, yeah, right now it's like, normally we're used to on in the books that we've covered so far, like this being the MacGuffin, this being the like answer to our problems or the, or a symbol of the primary goal. And right now it's just kind of there. Yeah. Uh, Like they didn't have to, solve any riddles to find it they did, it's just sort of like uh here take this uh I, I like i don't know why but here here's this um and like again dandon hasn't done anything with it um so we'll see i i just like the role that it's playing a whole lot more it adds almost a stronger mythology to everything that's going on because it can be mentioned and it still finds its way into stories Mm-hmm. But it's not tiresome in that it's not the big grandiose thing. Yeah. I also like that it is not a channel to Martin. It's mm. not like the sword wielder is who Martin talks to. Martin's talked to like four different people already. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which uh, with with that, I think we should. So, this is, so we've read a couple books now with Martin as character. We're back into Martin as like spirit dream god. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird to be back here. Yeah. I forgot that that's like, so how's that, how's that feeling to you in this book, given stories we've read about Martin? Is, is there anything worth, I don't know, noting or like, does it, does it feel like there's a through line or a connection? I, I, I like it better here than I did in Redwall and Matameo because he's not a savior here. It's kind of the same role that the rest of Redwall is playing. It's not the savior. It's not the main 
driving force for everyone. Instead, it's just kind of like this spirit just kind of helping people along the way. Mm -hmm. And it feels more attuned to Martin as a character of a general helper as opposed to a god figure. And I mm. like it more in this compared to what we've seen before. It, it feels like less eye rolly and more like, ah, this is the guy that we know and love who is assisting people. To me, I think it feel I like the view of Martin as like malleable, like the force where it's like, it's whatever you, yeah. you need it. You or the story needs it to be. Uh, it's kind of fun to be back there after like having stories where he is a person um who's as sort of like concrete as anything else in the story around us but it does it i feel like there is no connection between like that character that we read about and this dream vision thing it, it feels totally different to yeah. me um and i'm i'm okay with that uh but yeah it's it is funny to be back in this type of story. It's interesting how connected they still are to the story of Mossflower though, and how mm, they still yeah. see Martin as, or still experience Martin as this spiritual figure. Cause they're able to directly link Danden to Gomph, which I do like the connection. Yep. Danden is descendant of Gomph, not Martin. I think that's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But so they have that still in their, memory as a community where they're able to say it's like i think great great grandfather or something like that um Mm -hmm. and yet there is still the spirituality of of martin going on which i do think probably speaks to martin actually being this figure who is able to act in the spiritual ways rather than them kind of creating this mythos of martin uh Mm -hmm. because they don't do the same thing with gonf in that Gonf does not come back to sing songs to people in dreams and they don't talk about yeah. him in this reverent way. But at the same time, I think, I think Simeon early on is sort of like, I think he says something like, I do think we'll see Martin again someday. And mm-hmm. so like, it, he kind of talks like we haven't had any kind of like, he didn't leave any descendants like Gonf did. But Simeon's sort of very kind of like vaguely and like sage-like is sort of like, but I think we'll see Martin in other ways or something. And they're like making the tapestry currently. Oh, that's so right. it, it yeah. is sort of like that type of like desire is there. Like Redwall yeah. wants to interface with Martin. So like I do think you could sort of like Watsonian kind of like the Redwallers are creating this in their head sort of thing. I, I don't know. It, like I'm not that interested in trying to do that because it's like well marielle sees him and she has no connection so like whatever who martin is or what he's doing here is whatever that is to i don't need to like unpack it but i do think it is interesting that i think simeon kind of notes like he doesn't have any descendants but he'll he'll come to us other ways or something and you're sort of like okay sure whatever (laughs) what does that mean maybe Um, maybe the key to being a spiritual being is to remain unattached to anyone and not have kids there you go yeah yeah that's why matthias isn't showing up to people because his shithead son ruined (laughs) his tarnished his legacy oh no oh no i do like how 
do we want to talk about the red wallers a little bit yeah i think we should talk yeah let's let's get into the red wallers they're nice i like them a lot i yeah they're very nice seem like great great people yeah it seems like a place i want to be i don't, I don't know uh simeon i think is a very fun character to have and i love a mm-hmm. good a good display of disability in a story uh one of my favorite characters ever in fantasy is Toph from Avatar and how they use mm-hmm. her uh, blindness not as a only as a handicap, but as a thing that is able to empower her to do cool things. And they do a similar thing here with Simeon of uh, showing him being able to like be sensory and, and pick up on other stuff going on. And, and so that's cool to see and how uh, Abbott Bernard is able to like respect that in him and just kind of learn lessons from him too. And they have a great dynamic that I can appreciate. I do think, and I'm not like so well, I'm not very well versed in like, like criticism through the lens of like disability. I do think that there is a trope that people are not always of of, like, if you don't have one sense that just like reclass it, 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 like, buffs up one of your other senses it's just sort of like a reclass of your (laughs) skill tree or whatever and i do think that that is some i i I don't know i don't think it's like always a bat like oh this is valueless i do like simeon a lot i love the position that he holds in this but i do think it is a trope worth pointing out that like just because somebody's blind doesn't mean they have superpowers. Yeah, it, I, I do think that's... And, and, and that's okay. If Simeon yep. can't smell as well as Simeon does, like, that's okay. It's not like his person... Him not having that increase is not like losing out on personhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like Simeon a lot. Yeah, I think he's great. He's one of my MVPs at at uh, Redwall so far. I think Saxtus, too, is another fun character to have. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure what role he is playing other than the person who likes poetry and is <laughs> reciting this poem over and over again. But mm-hmm. he's a nice character to have as this friend to Danden who is kind of unassuming and just chilling at Redwall, doesn't have these grand motives of adventure, but is happy mm-hmm. to still contribute to his, his friends and everyone else going around. I want more from Mother uh, Mellis, though, because I need my my badger ladies to be big and strong. Other than just making yeah. people take baths, yeah, yeah, she's so far very much the badger badger mum, mm-hmm. which I think she's probably going to crack some skulls in book two. If I had to guess, I would there's imagine. already sort of that like if they had if those rats had taken that baby mole, like they were like, oh shit, we would have been so like i think we will see sort of the the typical badger strength rising to threat kind of thing that we've seen before yeah i'm curious what sactus sactus will be like in book two Uh, we don't know yet what it means for him to have stayed at redwall um and not be a journeyer so I'm, i'm curious given that there is a threat right outside of redwall what that will mean for him I really like the time in place of Redwall yeah. where it's sort of like it's built, but it's still being built again, coming off of Moss flower where it's just a germ of an idea. It's kind of fun to see it. Like, I don't know what would like, it feels like 75% complete or yeah. whatever. Um, 
which is a cool thing to just plop in the middle of. There's a couple. I think this is the first. I could be wrong, but I think this is the first time the word Dibbon is used I in any of these. I think so as well. And I'm really curious. I did, I meant to kind of look this up. I feel like I've Googled it before, but I think that that's just a word he made. Yeah. I don't know that that has any type of certainly like history and abbeys like the other sort of titles and terms do. It's just there. And I think it's a really interesting sort of thing of like he wrote, what, three, four books before this? Uh, Or Martin comes after this. So we've covered four books, but he wrote three. And just, yeah, just decides to throw in. It's like, I need a word for the children. (laughs) Um, Which is cool. I like it. It works great. Yeah. I uh, Mm -hmm. immediately put in my head of other times where people just make up words for children and they think of younglings in star wars mm, and my head goes sure. to obi-wan kenobi being sad in episode three about anakin and saying he killed dibbins he killed the dibbins that would be a sad day no indeed. no anakins in redwall please yeah i don't know redwall vibrant as always I think the stories we've read so far where Redwall is in existence, it's like Redwall and another place uh, are the kind of two settings, whereas this one has like a lot going on. So I kind of like that Redwall is just uh, one of six yeah. sort of places we've been. Yeah. Um, I guess is in book two as the sea rats begin to invade Redwall, we're going to have a lot more time there. And the folks are going to do some stuff defending Redwall once again. Again, this is sort of like just kind of hinted at at the end uh, of of book one. Like the threat has not actualized yet, but it feels this threat to Redwall feels better to me than like Matameo, where it just sort of felt like sort of like, uh, yeah, there's there's birds yeah. because we need something for them to do where I do like that. This is like spilled over yes. from the other stuff. So it's like that, that feels like a better, like Redwall is actually connected. Um, the, the, the stuff that's happening there is a consequence of the other parts of the story. We'll see if it reads better or if it still kind of feels like sort of just a, something to keep those characters in the fold. But the, the origin of the conflict feels a lot better. 100%. Yep. I am enjoying how he is growing of of an author in this book compared to some of the others. It's definitely evident, I think. What other threads do we, like, I guess we should talk about Kabul. Uh, That feels like meaty enough that we can, we can spend some time there. I don't know that like Salomon Dastron feels so prevalent um, other than just noting that it's there and I'm excited for what comes of it. I don't know other than that, if I have a whole lot to talk about I uh, with that really like it so far. I like how it's providing, like it gives us a Salamandistron that is less fantasy spiritual that we saw in Moss flower and is more pragmatic and uh, mm-hmm. grounded in ways that I really appreciate. I love the conversations that Ron Blade is able to have with the Long Control and how the hairs interact 
the hairs and yeah. their interactions with each other are great and how they're very mm-hmm. just matter of fact in battle and then matter of fact with each other and Ron Blade and the mutual respect that's going on there. And now they just have this intelligence service going on and observing people and how he is sending people to strengthen ties with Redwall and stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot more grounded, down to earth, and lived in maybe is the word I'm looking for. I can connect to it better than we did in Moss Flower. Yeah. Yep. I that makes sense. And like it is cool that yeah, it's like Salamandastron can be different things depending on who's like running it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, the Ron Blade administration <laughs> seems very different than uh the the Boar of the Fighter administration. Yeah, I, uh, I like how he's connected to Moss Flower and how he wants to look out for it and foster ties yeah. there. I'd prefer he was on a death hunt for <laughs> Gabul driven by nothing but that. No. I'm kidding. Uh yep, Ron Blade is cool. I'm excited to see what happens mm-hmm. with with him and all that. But yeah, Gabul and his what what's the isle? Is it Terra Terramort Isle? Terramort Isle. I think it's um, a combination of like mortal and Terra. A good old uh, mushing of words together. There's a word for it uh, when you mush two things together. Portmanteau. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, how what do we what do we think about our our villain so far? Again, it feels to me he is literally on an island in the <laughs> story. Like he is completely self-contained uh, at this point, um, which is interesting. And I think it's like a a different introduction to a villain because it's sort of like we know some stuff about him, but like we don't know that much about him at the same time um because he hasn't really faced a conflict that is not of his own yeah. making which i don't know i guess I, yeah what, what what do you think about Gabor? i don't have very much excitement about him i remember when we talked to anna for the first time about these books she always wanted to, she like talked about when she was first reading them how she would skip the good guys and read about the bad guys I'm almost having the reverse reaction here where I do think that Marielle and Gullwhacker and the interactions between the good guys is more interesting than Gabool at the moment. The mm-hmm. he, he seems just very bad for being very bad sake. And we're seeing some similar tropes with him that we saw, especially with Clooney, where he's having bad dreams about how his villainous actions are going to be the end of him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not super invested into him. What I think is more interesting is the pirate society and how there's yes. a lot going on yep. there with some backstabbing all over the place. And that's fun to watch and how there is politics going on and people saying, I don't know, this guy is just killing people left and right. So maybe we can't mm-hmm. trust him and uh, some power and intrigue going on there that I think is interesting more than Gabul himself. But mm-hmm. yeah, Gabul has some stuff going for him, but the pirate society I think has some more going for it. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I think Gabul as like a figure is serviceable, fine, whatever. I think he feels as scary and cruel as he needs to, where it's like his connection to Marielle of like just pushing her in Mm -hmm. and that kind of creating this 
sort of new kind of character that we're seeing develop. Like all of that is like, yeah, uh, you need, or the story like needs some big bad. Uh, and it's like, cool, it's fine, uh, in that regard. But yeah, the, the pirate society stuff, I think is, is much cooler. And I do like, I think I like the bell as sort of a like symbol again. It's not so new in terms of like it being this thing that's haunting his dream and he's sort of like hearing the sound and it's yeah, like the symbol of his evil deeds coming back to get him. But the idea I think of just like, we haven't really seen the logistics of some of these grand creations and symbols yet, like where it's like, Oh, these people were shipping this bell (laughs) to Salamandistron. And it's important for a place like Salamandistron to have something like a bell and like, that doesn't just happen. Um, so I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And and that sort of feels sort of connected to the Redwall is in progress. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the Joseph. There's some, yeah. Yep. Um, and like, we know yeah, we know where that will go, but some of that just like we've seen these things built. It's fun to see them in progress mm-hmm. in the story to like have some like relation to just like the nuts and bolts of building something like Redwall or Salamandistron. Um I don't know. That that feels cool. Gabool does make a comment to Joseph about how he wishes he was not born wicked, which yeah. is a whole lot of interesting stuff with some of this predeterminism when it comes to the speciesism of Redwall. I don't Yeah, that was that that stood out to me as well. It was an interesting I don't know. It's like he's always saying stuff though that doesn't make sense. So yeah. it's like how much to but yeah, it is like that feels Weird. I think it could be him making ex- excuses about his, his own actions, but I also think it's interesting that it's a bad guy saying it. There has never mm-hmm. been so far a good guy who says that like rats or other people are born wicked. They're all defined by the actions, but when the bad guy says he is born like wicked, then I think it's an interesting thing to to pull apart and maybe critique and see if that really is the case. I am so looking forward to Outcast of Redwall. Is what I mean to say. Yeah, I am curious about when we'll get to that one. I feel like just in sort of cursory listens or or kind of checking out some other podcasts uh, about Redwall, I get the sense that it's not held in high regard. Nope. Um, I don't think people think it's a good book, no. but. I'm curious to understand why that is and, and what it kind of means in the, in the bigger picture. Well, I don't know. We'll get there someday. I don't know where, I don't remember where that is in the order. I think sooner uh, than later. But, all right. Sooner than later, we'll get there. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I think all I've got for bad guys. Um, I think one thing is that there is some more striking violence in this than mm, we've seen in other yeah. books. Uh, I talked to Barrett's partner um, once about if he has read Redwall, and he said it was too violent for him, which hmm. after reading this uh, in, the, in the beginning, especially with 
Gabul and some of these captains and how he decapitates them and, and all that stuff. I can understand where it's like, ooh, this is this is a lot going in. And yeah. Question mark too much for a young child to read. Yeah. I the the head being chopped off is like definitely the most vivid description of anything mm-hmm. like that. As an adult reader, I think it's like helpful or do, add something to sort of this like setting of pirate society island. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do like, I guess not the same thing, but I do like that all of this violence does take place often around the like dinner table or the feast <laughs> table. Yeah. Um, to kind of contrast, like it, it's, it's just interesting where it's like, they're always eating and drinking. And like Redwall is too, uh, so it feels like an intentional kind of thing. Yeah, and and I guess I don't know like what exactly it's it's meant to be, but it seems anytime these fights break out, it's like they're always eating and drinking too, and that's always noted. So yeah, it's just kind of again that the food and it, creatures relationship to it feels like signifiers of like good and evil um, in, in different ways. Um, Sometimes it's like gluttony and sometimes it feels like here where it's like, you're not sharing around the table. You're cutting people's heads off. And Redwall, it's not about the species that defines you. It's about how you relate with food that makes you good and evil. Yeah. If you have an alignment chart in, in the Redwall universe, it's not chaotic good and chaotic evil or anything like that. It's just like hungry and, shares food or does not share food (laughs) yeah gluttonous feels like it it could stand in for for evil is he a k is he a chaotic glutton is he a neutral glutton i think truly chaotic i haven't talked too much about the audiobooks before because i mean i'm just Mm. listening to it but i do think that this is like a tier above the rest when it comes to performance and my enjoyment Mm. of it i think in part because the good guys in a lot of the other other books, Matthias and Martin, voiced by the same voice actor. And so it was a little bit like the person talking all the time was the same person and maybe a little bit monotonous. I think he's voicing the Badger in this book, but he's not in it as much. Mm-hmm. And so it's refreshing to have that. But the voice actor of Danden particularly sticks out to me for some reason as like doing a good job and um, with Marielle too. But then the songs that come up a whole lot in this book. Yeah, a lot of songs. A lot of songs. Not playing the functional role that I think they were playing in Martin the Warrior, but they come up a whole lot, and they're fully orchestrated almost in this, or they have a full music accompaniment uh, with them. So even when it's just someone singing a tune, then there's always like strings and a little bit of percussion behind it. And so that's fun to listen to. Mm -hmm. and. I think I get a lot more out of the songs than it would if I was just reading it. So two thumbs up on the audiobook for this one for sure. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's book one of Marielle of Redwall. And I, I so I, I complained at the top of the episode, but I think by now I'm actually kinda used to it. So <laughs> uh sorry for being dramatic earlier. It's not that hard to say Marielle of Redwall. That's mind blowing to me still though, <laughs> a little bit. I mean I had to learn that it's not Brian Jocks, it's Brian Jakes. So you're not sure. alone. 
Yeah, and we made it through this entire episode without making a Mare of Easttown joke. Oh my uh, goodness. So good for us. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for book two and three. Unlike some of the last books we've done, though book one is a more significant chunk of the book, the next two books are well split mm-hmm. within the proportion of the stories, uh, yeah. or at least page number-wise. So so that's good. Um, thanks, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, with that, I, I think that's that's book one of, of Mariel of Redwall. Stay tuned for books two and three. And, of course, we still have some housekeeping to do. Tapestry is still up and running, I think, at this point. Um, submissions are still open. Um, probably this is the last episode that that will be true for, but um, go ahead and check that out uh, on our website, Pod at gmail.com all the info's there uh just briefly we're putting together a zine if you haven't heard me talk about it before um kind of collecting works inspired by Redwall, celebrating uh, a fan community that's been very engaged in that way um we'll be putting together the zine shortly um at this point uh and it will be available digitally physically at some point um probably a little later and we will be doing an episode where we kind of celebrate and talk about it so if you've submitted thank you um if you've submitted maybe at this point we've talked to some of you if we haven't talked to you we'd love to so we'll work out those details um but yeah you can keep posted with that um on our socials as well uh pod at gmail or yeah. pod <laughs> at twitter and instagram um our email is rerodablepod at gmail.com all of those places get in touch yeah i'd love to have yeah. like uh, a letter segment or something on the show at some point we've gotten a few good emails and maybe we can uh, yeah. bring those up too at some point throughout our Redwall podcasting experience but Emails and communications always fun to have and, and to talk to people about Redwall. And also, I like the idea of if you leave a nice review, then maybe we'll read it on the podcast kind of thing. Yeah. Because it's always been fun That's to read those yeah. as well. And they're appreciative and get the podcast to trick the algorithm and all that fun. Yeah. Well, we've got, I think we've got a couple. Should we, should we, we didn't talk about this. Should we read them live right now? Should we? Let's, uh, let's save those for the next episode. A little, uh, all right. A little plug. Paying a little carrot for people to <laughs> listen up. I don't know, but it'll be fun. Yep. So get in touch. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading along. I know some of you are doing that. Maybe some of you are just listening along. Uh, whatever, man. Um, <laughs> you do you. Thanks for doing it all. Yeah. Um, so we'll be, we'll be back next week for book two. Um, and on we go. Yeah. And as always, folks, stay Redwall. Stay Redwall. <laughs>